This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Back from what? Back from a week off. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Miss Deborah, if you're listening, we still miss you. Where are you, beloved? Call us. And I am back here in the studio with Selena Hollywood Saliante Hill. She just came back from Miami, Florida, where she was hanging out with a whole bunch of black women who are probably in the cast of black women are magical i don't know if that's a show but i feel like like okay be. you could have just said queen sugar and oh, 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 i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> oh oh my, my bad i'm not hollywood so i didn't know all those names Yo, you gotta do is check my pictures oh oh on oh, Instagram, on oh, oh 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 selena was like i'm not posting a lot but then every time you looked on her, her snap story she had like five new chapters of walking around <laughs> with somebody from queen sugar we <laughs> in miami but anyways guys this is stanley fritz and i'm here for another week of action-packed conversation you can find me on twitter at stan fritz on snapchat at dark skin swindow on instagram at stan fritz and on facebook at stanley fritz where i get it lit we have selena here but we also have a very special guest but i'm going to wait for him to introduce himself and he can do that now uh, Joshua Clennon here, uh, repping uh, Black Caucus, Young Democrats of America, New York State Young Dems, Caucus of Color. Okay, well, let me just add on to his resume, because you know some people are a little shy, but let me just add on, because Josh is doing a lot of things. So yeah, he's also like, he's the treasurer of the Black Caucus of the Young Democrats of America. He's also the financial director of the New York State Young Democrats Caucus of Color, and he was a delegate for Bernie Sanders. I was. Did you so. go to the caucus? Hmm? Did you go that? to the caucus? What caucus? The Democratic caucus. Uh, the, you mean the convention. The convention. convention. Yeah. yeah, I was there. Oh, 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 oh my bad, that. my bad. So we yeah. got two Hollywood the coronation. People. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> stop it. I was at the Hennessy making contest and I came in third place. Thank you very much. <laughs> Stanley, we all know that you're you're Facebook famous, okay? Like, oh. all you have to do is check Stan Lee's post at any time of the oh, day, God. and they have 100 likes, 100 shares. I started a war. Comments. Like, seriously. Well, I've been getting targeted on Facebook. I'm really? Not yeah, people have been reporting my post now. So <laughs> if, I get, if I get reported one more time, I'm going to be suspended for you, a month. Really? You yep. got a warning? Yeah. Why oh, are they wow. reporting you? Because you, do you see what I post? Yeah. yeah the last few days, it's been F the police. And by the way, F the police. And what I'm not saying, F the police, because it's F the police. I'm talking about white people, but also F the police. Right. So let's not get suspended off the air as well. Stanley. For what? Saying F the police? Well, if that is getting you, well, it's threatening to suspend you. They're threatening to suspend you over there on Facebook. Well, the, the police feds suck. probably watching. <laughs> probably got the feds watching. We don't know, Stanley. <laughs> well, we just don't want to get shut down. Anyway, guys, so welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard. Thank you, Stanley, for that introduction. Yes, I was absent last week. And I'm back. Stanley's back, obviously. But Alyssa and Jackie aren't here with us this week. That's right. Alyssa is getting lit at the Pride Parade. Yes, she's at the Pride Parade. And Jackie's in Albany? Yeah, where is she again? Tra- I always forget. I'm like, where is everybody? Jackie's in Albany. She's somewhere, like, trying to get, like, one more bill passed, even though the legislative session is over. So, you know, she'll be having fun with that. Yeah, definitely. But we still have a great show lined up. We're going to start the show talking about Black Lives Matter and what could be the demise of the movement for black lives. So there was this revealing expose released in BuzzFeed that talked about Black Lives Matter, a lot of their internal struggles, um, leadership struggles, direction struggles, just a lot going on. And... They really could be in jeopardy. So we're going to talk about that. Like, obviously, I don't know, Joshua, if you would classify yourself as an organizer, an activist, or at least, you know, someone who is very active in this space, you would. 
Yeah, I would. I mean, I'm definitely an advocate, an activist. Um, I tend to to lean more towards, you know, I'm all about, like, economic organizing. Okay. Like, I'm not just the... To me, in my opinion, I think folk politics are just, like, a small piece, piece of the puzzle. When I say, like, folk politics, I mean, like, marching, occupying right. public spaces, things like that. So you're throwing shade. I'm not throwing no shade. I mean, it's no, very, I, I marched to the studio today, beloved. I mean, I've I've done the marching, I've done the protesting. I've you know I I've marched with Black Lives Matter across Brooklyn Bridge, all that stuff. But the way it's set up nowadays, like cities plan for these these events. They know what you're doing. They're watching you on Facebook, and in the end, they end up determining where you're at. They they contain the marching. The whole like back in the day was effective because it really disrupted everything. Nowadays, the police are staring you. They're guiding you. Like, they're containing you, and they're, they're basically determining where you're actually marching. So what are you doing? Well, mm. so, hold on. It hold is on, disruptive. Hold on, hold on, if on, you are on. driving in the city, hold those on, marches are very disruptive. It's getting spicy, and we haven't even started oh, this yeah, segment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Save so that. Save that, that Josh. <laughs> so. Yeah, so, so, by the way, guys, we have a lot of people listening on Facebook Live. I think it's mostly because of Josh. <laughs> shout out to Brian. Shout out to John. Shout out to Callie. Shout out to Shadley. We got a lot of people listening, and we also have a nice little quickie on Trump care, the Senate Republican version. Yes, so Stanley will be giving a quickie in place of Alyssa on Trump care 3.0. And in the second half of the show, we will also be talking about the Democratic Party and its need to rebrand. Now, Bernie Sanders recently came out and said that the brand is not strong. Um, a lot of people, I think Tim Ryan as well said that, and a lot of people are just calling for the Democratic Party to change its messaging, its direction, and its strategy because of what happened in Georgia's special election. We lost there even though we spent a outrageous amount of money. $30 million, and as Joshua told me before we came on air, what was it? There was a ghost candidate where, like, it was a person that was dead that was put in the ballot. They didn't spend any money, <laughs> and he got more votes than John Ossoff did. Yeah, in 2016. like They just <laughs> ran like a no-name candidate, like not a real person, and he got more votes than uh, than Ossoff did in the special election. Damn, that, homie. Yeah. <laughs> no money. Zero dollars. <laughs> the runoff, you was the man, homie. <laughs> right, so obviously we have a lot to talk about, and of course we want you to let your voice be heard. That means you should call us up at 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at Heard underscore radio or you can holler at us on a facebook live because we do read comments that's right shane godfrey leave us a comment all the way from oklahoma or Annette. leave us a comment we want to hear what you got to say absolutely guys so we have a really packed show it's going to be fun it's going to be lively and we want you to let your voice be heard we're going to go on a quick break but don't go anywhere we're starting a show talking about black lives matter and why this organization might not be around for too much longer WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. I got Hennessy and Burberry ringing apple bottom jeans. I got killer water drinking it and spilling from the seams. I got a nice height shirt, but I got a big gut. Okay. 20 push ups going hard. Oh, I rap like a slut. Dang. That was horrible. Bars. You rap like a slut. Excuse are you slut shaming? You will not slut shame me, Selena Hill. Stanley, you just slut shame. You will not hear showing me shoulders, all right? I'm not, I'm not showing. I got my shoulders covered, all right? Anyway, Stanley, I don't know what that was, but. I got, I got petty 
pettiness inside my DNA. You do. Have, have a blessed day, beloved. You do have pettiness inside your DNA. That's, what I, you do, guys. that's the only line that I agree with. You're a hater. We are back, guys. On Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. I'm in here with Selena Hill. I am also in here with Joshua Clennon, who happens to be one of those super political people who doesn't always want to be engaged in folk politics, as he says. That was a petty bomb. <laughs> You're supposed to be offended. That was a petty bomb. I'm not. I mean, I told you I respect it, but it has to be part of a greater strategy. All right, so if you say it has to be part of a greater strategy, you're going to like what I have to say about this. So Selena kind of gave you guys the the precursor before we started, but I'm going to go all the way in. So in case you have been living under a rock covered in Hennessy and white nonsense, you may have heard about the expose article that came out in BuzzFeed. That's right. So earlier this week, BuzzFeed published an article by journalist Darren Sands. If you want to know what the article is, we'll be tweeting it out in about two minutes and it pretty much takes a deep look into black lives matter the article questions the organization the leadership the purpose the plans and the goals of the black lives matter organization if you're like me you've been calling it the black lives matter movement until a good friend of mine pointed out that you can't judge a movement or greater movement because it's a movement you have to create an organization so i want to put that distinction there we are talking about the black lives matter organization specifically it discussed and talks about the potential risks within the movements because of the organization's priorities. They talk about Alicia Garza and Opal, whose last name I'm forgetting at the moment, forgive me, I will get that for you later on, and their their disagreements about how to move the movement forward. So Alicia Garza does not agree with engaging in the political process because, and she's mostly right, most of our politicians are racist, problematic people who don't have a vision for a better world, particularly not a better world for black people. Whereas Opal believes that we have an opportunity now, specifically within the Trump movement, to have real power and make real change, specifically around the issue of black immigrants, especially with Donald Trump out here trying to wash all immigrants. I have an article coming out about black immigrants in a couple of weeks, by the way, so look out for that. They also talk about the tensions rising from a lack of financial resources. So as you guys know, Black Lives Matter chapters have sprouted out all across the United States. And what they're saying is a lot of these chapters are frustrated because they literally have no money. Or as one person told me about their chapter, and this is off the record so I will not get their name, is that they have to wait months, sometimes like up to a year, just to get reimbursed for small things. So tensions around that. And then it's also frustration around the movement, people, because of a lack of direction. So we talked about first how um, some people feel like they should be more engaged in the political process. Some people don't. Some people feel like there is not enough direction within the movement at all. That's even besides the policy platform that came out last year, August, um, that was called the Movement for Black Lives Policy Plan. Um, They also talk about tension around local chapters and a tight leadership structure at the top. And this is despite the movement touting themselves as an organization that does not have a top-down leadership. They talk about having a decentralized, or as I call it, a horizontal leadership where every voice is heard. The article was so messy, as expected, it caused an explosion of comments, hot takes, petty moments, curse outs, and of course, clapbacks on Twitter, on social media, but also in public. And one of the people who responded to it was, of course, Black Lives Matter, who released an op-ed on Mike. We'll be tweeting that out shortly as well to respond to it. But I want to give you some of the cliff notes on there. And it says, we are not always in full agreement. We have competing ideas, and we will undoubtedly upset each other in the process of making difficult decisions. However, we are here because we, we believe that our victories in service of black people are bigger and better when we win together. 
And then, when we arrive at conflict, we do our best to hold each other to the standard, no matter how difficult or inconvenient. We don't always get this right, but in order to do so, it requires all of us to hold these values. So, after talking about all of this mess that's been happening all across the interweb, starting from BuzzFeed, then to Mike, then to Twitter, then to Facebook, then to some slander into the Ray Meckerson's comments, because he was mentioned in the article as well. I don't know, guys. We are in here to, in the studio to really have a deeper conversation about Black Lives Matter, and we invite all of you guys to engage with us as well. So if you're on Facebook Live, leave us comments. I see a comment here already. I'll get to that later. If you're on Twitter, be heard underscore radio. If you want to call, give us a call, 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. And before we even get into the nitty-gritty, what I really want to do, because I know Joshua has a lot of thoughts on this, as I want to get to you guys, like, A, did you read it? What did you think? And Selena, you can go first. Well, I wanted to say I actually have that comment that we received. It's from um, Shadley Love. Yes. And she writes, they should be more engaged in the political process. They need to pressure the politicians and run people for office or endorse them. And I wanted to say I actually agree with that. Thank you so much for leaving that comment because I actually stand on the side that says instead of taking like instead of trying to overthrow the system by not participating at all, I think that we should be engaged in the political process. And I think that DeRay McKesson's strategy is something that I think has proven itself to work. I mean, if we look back at what happened in 2008 when we had the Tea Party, they rallied around racism. There was a lot of, like, conservative groups and a lot of just racist white people from working-class backgrounds and middle-class America who were like, we don't like Obama for these reasons. And what they did was they made sure that they pushed more conservative candidates who were aligned with their agenda into offices on the local, state, and federal level. And this strategy was effective because you still have those people here. We have the Freedom Caucus in the House, and you still have a lot of those same type of people. (laughs) Stanley said in the clan. But but I I just wanted to say that... I do want you to answer the question as well. I thought that was the question. The question was, what was your reaction to the article? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just agreeing with the comment. So okay, so Selena was just diving straight up into her, her I'm bag. sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, so my reaction to the article. You know what? I was just like, I felt kind of bad because I'm like, why are we airing dar- like our dirty laundry? You see what I'm saying? Mm. Like, okay, now Darren Sands, that's the reporter from BuzzFeed who wrote the article, and I thought he did a brilliant job. But I kind of felt like, hmm, should we be putting our business on Front Street? But then again, as a reporter myself, I was like, get it, Darren. Like, he did his thing. Like, you know, that's what reporters do. So I had a mixed reaction. What did you think, Joshua? Um, I thought the article was healthy, you know. Um, I didn't I didn't think uh, the article had anything that a lot of people within the who've been involved with Black Lives Matter didn't know. You know, we know there's a lot of disorganization. Black Lives Matter right now is sort of like a, a loose confederation. You know, if you're going to be a political organization, you got to conduct yourself like a political organization. There needs to be, like, you know, elected leaders. There needs to be a convention. There needs to be uh, an agenda, a platform, legislative, economic, to address the issues in our communities. Like, like I said, like, you know, protesting, marching, it's great. It grabs headlines. It gets the media attention. But if you don't have anything else, if you don't have a larger strategy that includes, like, whether it's policy or, like, economic plans, like, to, if you don't have that bite, 
you're just, you know, you're just out there wasting your time. Well, Joshua, I want to come back on you on that one because they actually do have a policy platform. So the Movement for Black Lives, which is a coalition of organizations that affiliate with Black Lives Matter movement, including BYP 100, including A Million Hoodies and some other organizations. My organization also endorses movement. They came out with a policy platform last year that include divestment from racist institutions, reparations for black people, and community control of police departments mm-hmm. and schools. So right, but those are big lofty goals that you know you gotta have, you gotta get stuff that is attainable. You gotta get small victories and sort of build. You know, I mean, and I hate to say that because you know that's what Democrats say all the time. You know, they want you to compromise. They want to do half measures, but at the same time, you know, we do got to be realistic. And I mean, we need to like you know, where's the, like Black Lives Matter? Do we have a pack? Are we endorsing candidates? Are we campaigning? locally on a local level so i don't see that real quick before we go to houston which we will i want to mention that black panther the black panther party in the 70s actually did run people for office bobby still ran for mayor oh yeah the black panther party yeah so i, I do want to say this is not, it's not strange to see something like that happen what you're suggesting exactly Selena? But it sounds like what Joshua is saying is that you think there should be more structure. There should be right. leaders within the structure. within black and within this movement. But they founded themselves on not have on, on being a leaderless movement full of leaderful people. I think I forgot how the phrase how they yeah, phrased it. I mean, if you have a leaderless movement, your, your movement is never going to have any direction. You need leaders. I mean, and that's what really discourages. You know, why is Oprah isn't full and why is Michael Jordan all these billionaire black people? Because they got a lot of big money, and they're not just gonna put their money on the line if y'all ain't organized. <laughs> well, Michael Jordan is problematic as hell. I mean, yeah, we know, but there's there's a lot of people who are, you know, they they shy away from Black Lives Matter because yeah. you know the group isn't organized. Well, yeah. if they were organized, they had their stuff together. Like people would be more willing to get involved and to give them money. So I'm going to do two things. I'm going to personally disagree and say that the, I think the Black Lives Matter movement is organized. I think that like our interpretation of what organization is might be different, but I do think they're organized. And I want to jump in for I want to jump to Selena for a second because you mentioned something before. You talked about a, a movement with no clear leadership is not going to move anywhere. Selena, do you think that Black Lives Matter does not have a clear leadership? Do you do you think it's their leadership structure, or do you think that they're doing just fine? Um, I think it's problematic, and I stated that in my opening comments because I think that even when we look back at Occupy Wall Street, and I understand this is completely different, mm-hmm. but some of the fund like some of the fundamental elements I think are still in place because Occupy Wall Street was a, a rallying outcry to push for a certain, certain economic agenda that helped middle and working class people and we all joined and we all joined on board and they did get stuff done but there was no face of occupy wall street mm-hmm. and i think that the founders of black lives matter they kind of they didn't want the attention on them they were like this is a movement that is um, a continuation of what was started in the 60s and the 70s. And mm. we're not, you know, how can right. we be a leader of a movement when this movement has been going on for decades? And I think that was right. like but their they, mentality. But they have organizations. And also, as someone who was at Zuccotti Park out there eating stale pizza and, and protesting, I can tell you that a lot of the people who are involved in Occupy, like the original founders who started it, they're 
there's a lot of mixed feelings about what brought it down. But one big concession we have is that people were so big on not having a right. That's what I'm saying, that, like, and I didn't agree with, and I didn't agree then, and I don't agree now. No, so, John, I'm gonna let you go, Josh, but I do want to make sure we plug the number. Please give us a call because we're talking about this movement right now. Do movements or organizations? built in movements need leadership give us a call at 212-650-6903 again that is 212-650-6903 or you can tweet us at be heard underscore radio if you're on facebook live let us know i think selena has something now yeah so kareen ao holder says she disagrees she said there's already the cbc um, Mm. uh, congressional black caucus and they oh shoot the comment just moved down Hold hold on hold on she was saying that they have like a lot of dry older people who aren't really doing things. Mm-hmm. So I guess what she's saying is that we have leadership when it comes to black people who are in these elected positions, but they're not moving our agenda. Well, then let me say, um, well, first let me clarify what I said previously. Um, because, I mean, Black Lives Matter, like locally, some of the local chapters are very organized. Like even in New York, we like we have a good uh, Black Lives Matter. What chapter is that? Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> the Greater New York Black That's Lives not an official chapter. I mean, well, whatever. They they're they're out there and they're doing stuff. I mean, locally, there's chapters that are organized that are doing their thing. But if you're going to be a national organization, you have to have national leadership. You have to have a national platform. So but, I, I want to jump in real quick just read the comment. Sorry about that, Josh. I know you were going. <laughs> Sorry, keep going, Joshua. I did, you know what? Finish, Josh. I'm, that was <laughs> But as far as the CBC, I'm listen, people get elected and, you know, they get swayed by big money just like everybody else. You need a... You need a an apparatus in the community that's going to hold them accountable, which is what Black Lives Matter can be. Like, Black Lives Matter has so much more potential to grow. Like, it's not it's not going to die. It's never going to die. Let's be clear on that. Mm, you know, whether the moniker dies, that may happen, but... Okay, so should Black Lives Matter hold our elected leaders accountable, or should we elect them ourselves, or can we do both? Black Lives Matter can do both. You can campaign. You can help elect candidates. You can have candidates that you endorse, you support, that you campaign for. And at the same time, even Republican candidates, you can you can lobby them as well. And if they don't, you know, if they go against you, then you can put money against people running against them in their primaries or even in Democratic candidates in swing, you know, swing states and stuff like that. So members of the Black, of the Black Lives Matter movement would say that what you're talking about is inherently problematic because all you're doing is feeding into a system of capitalism. Listen, before, listen you got to play the game to win the game. But you see, the problem <laughs> is, we, so I'm once again, like saying up for my people in the Black Lives Matter movement, they'd say that the problem is we've been playing the game and not only have we been losing, mm, our no. leaders have been getting killed. Just one second, I want to get to this comment from our good friend Callie McKenzie. She says, a vision without a strategy is weak. Leaders are necessary to develop a strategy and hold folks accountable for getting things done. So, Callie, thank you so much for sharing that comment. Josh, it was getting spicy. Finish your thought. Um, yeah, basically, what was I saying? So, what, when, you, when you do what you're talking about, because technically what we're saying is that we need, like, we need cleaner elections and we need people to hold elected officials accountable. But then what you're also saying inherently is that we need to raise money to put people into office. So even if we do that, the other side will raise more money. It just becomes a bigger rat race. And once again, you're feeding into the institutions of capitalism, which is what the Black Lives Matter movement does not want to do because the Black Lives Matter movement believes, and I might be editorializing slightly here, so anyone come call in, text in, message in, and Mm -hmm. check me, is that capitalism is the main pillar that upholds sexism, racism, and patriarchy. I mean, you're absolutely correct. I mean, capitalism is a problem and it's unsustainable. But at the same time, 
we're in a capitalist society. We have to operate as capitalists. You have to take advantage of the system, and then once you get positions of power, you can change the system. But if you're playing from the outside, you know, you're, not, you're never going to make a change. So you think we need to take a practical approach to the, to, the, to the political process, even though it has never worked for people of color? You're no. saying I don't it think has never worked. It has worked. It has worked. It's just I that mean, people of color have been duped. For years, and it's like now we're wising up, like we're calling the Democratic Party out on its nonsense, on its, you know, because the Democratic Party, they take this moral high ground, but at the same time, they're taking big money and <laughs> they're playing both sides. And now we're calling them out on it, and it's an issue where we're not giving them the same support that we have in years past, and they're, they're confused. They don't know what to do about it. Hold on. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, guys. Let me just tease this real quick. It's let me just tease this real quick. <laughs> because, and, we, and you can come back to answer it, because it sounds like if you're criticizing the Democratic Party for taking corporate money, then why are you saying Black Lives Matter needs to run these same candidates and run and play the same game? Like, like, let's just hold that thought, and uh, you could definitely clarify what mm -hmm. you're saying after this break. Guys, we're going on the break. It's getting spicy in here. Guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And if you just tuned into the conversation, we have been talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, specifically an article that came out on BuzzFeed from a black journalist, by the way. Andre, don't worry, we talk about black things on here. So we are talking about this article written by um, Darren Sands, right for BuzzFeed, that talks about some rifts in the Black Lives Matter movement. And before we went on break, Selena said to Joshua, who was saying that Black Lives Matter needs to engage in the political process, she says, if capitalism does not work, why are you now telling Black Lives Matter to use the same tools that you said are bad? Yeah, so Joshua, please respond. Well, I'm saying because you got to play the game to win the game. You know, you can't. So we should get our hands dirty. Yeah, you got to. I mean, you do have to get your hands dirty. I mean, we need to organize ourselves. Just like that's what the opposition is doing. If you're not using all the tools at your disposal, you're always going to be at a disadvantage. And I'm not saying that we just, you know, organize for corporate candidates. You can do grassroots organizing. You can get, you know, you can run people from the within the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, guys like D-Ray have tried that. I don't think he took the right approach. But he didn't. <laughs> I don't think, you know, I think we need we can raise homegrown candidates. We can win seats that are very winnable in our communities where we have like you have places like Ferguson, like 90 percent of the population is black. But you don't have, you know, a black elected officials. A black woman tried to run for mayor, and some black men shut it down. But let me just shout out my boy Andre Hachette, who usually says when people talk about this, why are we talking about the white man's institutions when we can be building black power in our communities? And what he would say is stop talking about this election stuff and go to Detroit and go buy some properties and build a black wall. And I agree 100% with that. That's why, that's why I said before, economic organizing, buying land, buying property. Like, you know, starting our own businesses, supporting our own building businesses, like building our own chambers of commerce. Like, that's what the black community needs to do. Like, stop complaining about white people not giving you jobs. Build businesses and hire your own people. Get, provide jobs for your own people. That's what Malcolm was all about. Okay, Joshua Farrakhan. Go ahead, Selena. <laughs> yeah, the, the solution here is multifaceted, and we definitely need to uh, take all of these approaches. Economic empowerment, of course, is very important in the black community, but I wanted to touch upon DeRay McKesson because we um, just noted that he ran for mayor in Baltimore, and he was not successful, and we have a comment from Kareen A.O. Holder who says, DeRay has been delegitimized. People in Black Lives Matter and the broader society now view him as a huckster 
for Black Lives Matter. He's profiting off his leverage of Black Lives Matter to pimp corporations. So I wanted to bring this comment into the discussion because we're saying that we should be running these folks from Black Lives Matter into these positions, but it's like as soon as they get into politics, which is a dirty game, and they get their hands dirty, automatically they're criticized. Now, well, now DeRay well. also gets criticism because a lot of people say it's all about him. And this is what the BuzzFeed, the BuzzFeed article talked about, too. They said that he's like almost like narcissistic where he makes it all about him. But like and even people like we have this listener right here who is saying like, yeah, he's delegitimized. I want to disagree. So a like full disclosure, DeRay and I are friends. So like I have a different opinion of him. But like. No, this, this he's he's not a huckster. So what happens is because we have so many people in the movement, and I get frustrated about this in this movement, is that if like you do something that people slightly disagree with, and I'm guilty of this as well for my attack of Uncle Tom's, even though Uncle Tom's deserve it, is that you automatically get seen as a sellout or somebody who's not doing good work. So the Ray gets criticized for engaging in the, in the political process and being a face and using that leverage to get things going. People are mad about that. People are mad at Justice League, the organization that I'm a part of, because we do the same thing, but we get things done. You know what? They, you cannot put 15 and 16-year-olds in adult prisons anymore in New York State because of the work that Justice League did. So, like, I don't understand why people get get hit up for getting things done. Well, Kareem. I'll say I don't think anybody should run for office if you're not from that neighborhood. If, like... You don't run for mayor of Baltimore. If you're not from Baltimore, you didn't grow up in Baltimore. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like, you and then, that one. Second of all, a lot of the leaders, the so-called leaders of Black Lives Matter, a lot of them are just doing it for the, you know, the attention, for the accolades. They want to, you know, anybody nowadays, people get a, a couple hundred thousand followers on Twitter and they think they're worthy of running for public office. I mean, we need to bring respect back to holding public office. That's a huge responsibility. Our president Thousands of people are followers. entrusting you with obtaining resources for their community. Like You got guys like The Rock talking about running for president. What qualifies you to run for president? No, what the Rock, you first, of that office? first of all, I think The Rock should run for president. No, the Rock's no. But hold on, hold on, Josh. I think some of the things you're saying are unfair. You are accusing some leaders in the Black Lives Matter movement of using the struggle of, 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 of black people to leverage their careers. Now, I don't, I don't know if we can make that accusation because from what I see, correct me if I'm wrong, these people are about that. Like, people are dying left and right. And, like, why would you even be part of the movement if you're not about the morale? You but have to have some I'm morale. Not, I'm not accusing anyone, though. I'm just saying. Like, you did say that. Speaking practically about people, people operate in self-interest. Rock has no business running for president. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. <laughs> but we do have a caller, guys. Andre has decided to call in and get into the spice of the conversation. Andre, let your voice be heard. What's going on, everybody? Great afternoon. Well, morning to Lena. Good morning. Nice to talk to you. Brother Sam, great talking to you as well. Good talking right. to you. So here's my take on this. Oftentimes, us as a people, we partake subconsciously in cult-like activism, meaning if we don't agree with a cause or a movement every step on the way, it's wrong, or we diminish it oftentimes where my uh, what it means is if it's pushing us in the right direction, even if I don't personally agree with it, even if I can critique it, but if it's pushing us an inch, a mile, whatever, in the right direction, then it's a win. I think we have to realize when a win is a win. So, so 
knock on wood, you owe me a favor. So, um, unfortunately, uh, Andre, you were breaking out a lot. I'm going to try and just very quickly summarize what you said. If I don't get it right, please put it in, on Facebook Live, and we'll have Selena read that comment. But pretty much what he was saying is we had uh, what's happening right now is we have this space where it's like a culture of um, kind of like, damn it. I'm a, He's, well, he said, and I quote, Cult-like activism. Thank you. Cult-like activism. So, like, if you're not doing something specifically the way people like it, you're automatically dragged. And what he's saying is that even if he doesn't necessarily agree with it, he supports it as long as it's trying to do something. As long as it's pushing us in the right direction. And I actually agree with Andre, too, because, of course, there's always going to be criticisms and critiques, especially if you're working hard in the movement. Because at the end of the day, people are still people, and we are going to have these disagreements. But, again, if we're getting things done, should we really be, be like, like picking at each other like that? But, Selena, what are we getting done? What has changed? It has changed since this movement began. Nothing. I can tell you, police have body cameras on them in New York State. You can they got body cameras and they're still killing people and, and still getting away with it. Hold on, one at a time, guys. One at a time. Steal. That was live on camera. He, so. Dude got away with it. So what are we get actually getting done? We need to get more organized. We need to work together. It's you know, every, there's a space for everybody. Certain people are good at different things, and everybody you know needs to use their own space and do their own thing, but we have to be organized. We have to use it for one common goal. We don't have one common goal. We're not working towards... Is Black Lives Matter getting things done? Joshua seems to, seems to have alluded that Black Lives Matter is not getting enough done, if anything at all. What do you think? I think that they are getting things done. I think that it's happening not at the national level, but with local chapters. Local chapters are getting a lot done. In particular, what happened in Albany and some other parts of the state with Black Lives Matter chapters there, during Mother's Day, they bailed out mothers from prison who were in Rikers Island or in other places where you could be in there even though you weren't convicted of something but just stuck there because you could not afford to pay your bail. We also got body cameras on police officers. It is a start. It is not exactly... It's not everything we need, but it is a start. And right. about two weeks ago, we had activists working with organizations going to Albany to reform New York State's parole board. Because did you know, in 2015, 80% of the people who went up for parole to that board were rejected because the people on that board were making up crimes that people did not actually do. And they were asking them, they were punishing them for things that they hadn't done in years, even if they had recommendations. So we went up there, and I was in support of it, obviously, and they, they're pushing the five most problematic board members out of there and replacing them with progressive people which could transform the way that people are being seen when they go up to parole boards now we talk about like how powerful black lives matter can be but then to be powerful unfortunately getting back to the system of capitalism you need money exactly and one of the big things that was talked about in that piece was that there's a lack of funding actually just i'm kind of paraphrasing the article they talked about actual members of the black lives matter movement local chapters activists who were being requested to organize and build power and they were damn near homeless Mm. Well, I, I'm sorry, continue. continue. No economic organizing. Where, I mean, we should be paying our people. Why can't black... So so if this, if we are to believe this to be true, why isn't Black Lives Matter getting funded? Why are, are, is, Has anyone contributed to a Black Lives Matter chapter in here besides me? You, you know what, Stanley? Guilty. I've protested. I've supported the movement in social media. Have I made a fiscal um, contribution? Not as of yet. And I thank you for holding us accountable. But I also think that the people from, you know, the people that are protesting and joining these marches are coming from the same disenfranchised communities mm. that we're trying to help at the same time. Right. So we're not in a, you know, fiscal uh, state where we can make large donations and of that sort. And I think that fundraising is a problem across all non-for-profits and all organizations so to put the brunt on black lives matter like they can't pay because they can't pay their um 
their workers. I mean, Stanley used to work for an organization that paid you crumbs. And remember, you were eating um, from a box that was supposed to be geared towards homeless people, too. Stanley was borderline homeless and hungry, and he was going to soup kitchens while he was working for an organization. So we. Well, that was. I told you that in confidence, you know. <laughs> that was this, this goes back to a point I said before. If yeah, you're right, like, <laughs> if the organization was more organized, we it would attract more money. It would wait, make wait, more. Wait, wait, I'm gonna put We act like there's no black folks in this country with money. We gotta, we got people with money in this country, but they're not gonna put their money on the line if people aren't organized. Hold on, two things. One, Jay Z has funded several Black Lives Matter chapters that Dream Hampton put out there on Twitter, so we all know it's true. Now, because Dream Hampton, why would, why would Dream Hampton lie? But then also, black nonprofit organizations are historically underfunded, and what happens is these larger mainstream organizations get all the crumbs to do the work. And with nonprofit work, you have to get either, like, or like grassroots fundraising, so people like me and you and you giving them money, or grants. And you get these grants from these foundations who put the money behind very specific things. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why the NAACP and other organizations over the years have gone from like fighting cases to specifically working on education because the funders are like, hey, we support you. Work on this. That's what we're going to pay for. We're not going to give funding for this. Stanley, I'll tell you like I tell everyone else. If you make excuses, you'll always find them. If you look for them, you'll always find them. You just got to get it done. You sound like my dean. You just got to get it done. It's as simple as that. Like, you got to hang it down, get your people organized, motivated, and just get it done. I mean, yeah, we got obstacles. We got roadblocks. We got, we'll always have these challenges, but you can overcome them. You know what, Josh? I think we need to elect you for Black Lives Matter leadership positions because you seem to have all the answers. I guess Josh has all the answers. Guys, if you have... if you're listening to this, that I didn't say that, okay? I didn't say it either. No, I'm just kidding. But, guys... Guys, if you want to contribute to the conversation by calling in, you can call us up at 212-650-0309. Continue to keep your comments flowing here on um, our Facebook fan page. Can well, we get to a comment on Facebook Live? Yes. Yeah, so, so, yeah. So, uh, Brian Arthur has a very insightful comment. He says, uh, the media won't highlight what Black Lives Matter has done on a local level. The economic condition of Black Lives Matter is a representation of all black organizations that seek to improve conditions in our community. Solution? Economic empowerment and entrepreneurship. I absolutely agree with Brian Arthur. Thank you so much you for too. chiming in on your thoughts because, again, we've, we've mentioned economic empowerment is something that we need to do in the communities and this organization. But I, but I, I just want to shout out Brian Arthur right now because, by the way, talking about economic empowerment, what Brian Arthur is doing, he started a business that helps people fix their credit so that they can be economically empowered. So if you want to, if you need some help with that, holla at Brian. He's on Facebook, obviously, right yeah, now. Brian, Brian's my guy. I like Brian. Absolutely. But I just wanted to point out, you know, and Stanley did a good job of pointing out what Black Lives Matter is doing on the local levels in these individual uh, chapters, but on top of that, on the national spectrum, the fact that every time a black or brown person is shot dead or abused by police becomes national news, we can and should be thanking Black Lives Matter for pushing the black agenda and our concerns into national discourse. And now, when these incidents happen, they are always on national news and there is a big deal around it. Like, I still have family members um, who were beat up by cops decades ago and mm -hmm. don't have, like, vision in, on their eyes, but it was, it was seen as, like, a common occurrence. Now, if my uncle got beat up by the cops, 
we would be on like the front page of the New York but Daily the, News. The thing is, that, that's not true because like a lot of things are still happening that don't get reported. But I want to get to a comment I saw from Kareem. But, but what do you mean it's not true? Because there are still a lot of like cases that go underreported just because of like it's not sexy enough, it's not happening in the right place. It really is. It's a hit or miss. It doesn't always happen. But it's been happening much more. Yes, no, but absolutely. Guys, and the thing is, when you see stuff on the news all the time, it becomes normalized. It's like so I'm, you're saying there's a pro and a con to yeah, that. Yeah, it's like people become numb to it. Like people stop caring. They say another black guy killed. What's new? Yeah, and like I, I know what so I want to get to this comment that I think Kanane put in there because yes, it, is, it is way Kanane. too. It's messy. It's how and I love it. Oh, did you want me to read that, Stanley? Yes, yes. Okay, so Kanine put another comment on our Facebook live stream. She says, Black Lives Matter got tons of funding, never enough, and most definitely not reparations, but they got a lot of money. Jay-Z and Beyonce, Beyonce donated. So I guess it, it, this comment, I think, it seems to allude to they are getting the money. What are they doing with it? And I think that this article in BuzzFeed pointed out that a lot of this money was um, centralized in the national organization mm -hmm. and amongst a few of the leaders um, but not not necessarily trickling down to the local chapters so that was a criticism of the article and I think a lot of people do question where's that money going well three million is not a lot of money let's be clear about it's that. not, it's not but that's more than enough to run an organization it says a hundred million what no, it says black lives oh. matter cash well, is in with a, hold on a hundred million from liberal foundation what's the source Okay, now you're going to have me do some research. It's the Washington Times. All right, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we can't get credibility because they're in the right The, the, the right Washington hand. Times last week put out an article that said Bernie Sanders radicals shot um, Republican senators. We do not, no. So now, let's be clear. Black Lives Matter, from what I know or what I've read, has gotten funding from some big organizations. I also know they've gotten funded, funding taken away from them because of their support for Palestinian activists. And for telling um, people to divest from Israel because of their occupation of Palestine. I mean, I agree with divest from Israel. There's a lot of Ethiopian Israelites who are abused in in, in Israel. Yeah, that's like a big thing over there. Like they're mar I mean, they they fall under it. That's Black Lives too. Like I don't. No, and you know what? That's a good point because I think that one of the leaders uh, who founded Black Lives Matter, she was also very invested in um, not just focusing so much on like police brutality and excessive force, but black people and brown people in other circumstances, for instance, immigration. So there was a part of the article where she said that, you know, she wanted to focus a lot on... Opal. Um, yeah, Opal, she wanted to focus a lot on fighting against deportations against black and brown people, and I guess that wasn't a focus of Black Lives Matter, so so now she has her own organization that does that. They put out an amazing report. So black immigrants make up, so like places from like historically African origins or black origins, like Jamaica, Haiti, mm -hmm. parts of Africa, they make up 4.4% of all like immigrants in the U.S. They make up 10% of all deportations. Well, and that's a great point. But should Black Lives Matter be focusing on that? And I, I don't think so. And, here, and, here, and here's the reason really? why. Like, when people tell me all the time, they're like, well, why doesn't Black Lives Matter focus on gang violence and other things? And I'm like, there are a number of organizations and people who have dedicated their lives to fighting these issues. Black Lives Matter needs to be focused. And I think it needs to, I mean, police brutality is a huge systemic issue. Criminal justice reform is something we should be focusing on. I don't think we should be all over the place. Yeah. Well, I do, I do think they need to focus. I mean, as the organization grows, you know, then... You gotta get some victories under your belt, and then you can expand and sort of work on other things. But that is a huge issue. Like someone, I'm Jamaican. Like for for Jamaicans, it's crazy. Like my 
my younger brother, um, his father's been deported like three times. Damn, you can get deported <laughs> more than once? I mean, they <laughs> we find a way to get back in, but it's crazy, like... <laughs> Really, like, in Queens, like, these, these guys, like, they target Jamaican <laughs> communities, Haitian communities, they raid, like, you know, their businesses and stuff like that. I'm it's sorry. really crazy, like, but this it's is, Like, you're saying some important about. stuff, but, like, you're saying... <laughs> Still, you're cracking up laughing over really? here. I'm you sorry. know people keep coming back. My dad shot someone, and he's like, well, he's, he has his paperwork now, and he's still in this country, which I don't understand how that happened. Did the person survive? Oh, okay. Yeah, yes, they did. Yeah, <laughs> they are alive. They are alive. So, um, that was. Well, that was the point of that, Stanley. He's a different person now, sort of. Okay. Anyway, guys, we are gonna go on a quick. Well, actually, <laughs> so let's do a temperature check. Actually, do we need to continue this conversation <laughs> a little bit more, or sh- should we close out? That's up to you, host. I mean, uh, I said a lot. Yeah. And we have a lot of comments too. Yeah, we do have a lot of comments. So I think what's. Oh, right hold on, hold on, hold on. Shadley just called me out. She says, "Selena says." You really coming from a place of citizenship privilege. There's like two organizations focusing on black deportation. So I just wanted to let her comment that. I mean, that's just, I I agree with what you're saying. And I think that we need more focus on that. But honestly, I don't, I think that what Black Lives Matter is focusing on, like we have people, critics like Joshua is like, oh, they're not doing enough. So I think that like, if we, really focus in on certain things and again get more money to maybe branch off and to fund and work with other organizations who happen to be focusing on deportation and immigration rights then yeah that's that's beautiful we should do that but there's a mission and there's a purpose at hand and i think they should focus on that still yeah so i think we're gonna have to wrap this conversation up even though people on facebook live are saying keep it going here is where we stand no matter what organization you are in, whether it be a black one or a white one, when it's a nonprofit organization, when it's fighting for justice, trust me, there's going to be mess. Absolutely going to be mess. You're going to see a lot of these problems. There are huge organizations right now that get millions of dollars of funding where their organizers are making pennies on the dollar. And they feel un- underappreciated, they feel overworked, and they don't understand the mission anymore because it just doesn't seem like the organization isn't very focused. There are organizations who we would look at as the number one leaders around an issue but on the internal spectrum of things they are at war with each other they're constantly reassessing their their vision and mission and they're wondering if they're doing good work i worked for an organization before this the one i'm at now before then i had a job where half of my days were spent in meetings trying to figure out what the mission was and people were not on the same page including the founders this is what happens when you create these organizations to fight for good And because of the system that we are in, the system of capitalism, you have to get funding. And the only way to get funding is to A, raise money off the backs of the people you want to help, or B, get grant funding. There will be things tagged to it. And it creates the system of the nonprofit industrial complex. I think what is happening more so than anything to Black Lives Matter movement, to to the organization, pardon me, is that they have fallen into the system of nonprofit, nonprofit industrial complex complex and i also think that they may want to have a conversation about their structure but that's not my place to tell them that it is not my place it is for them and i think that what we can do is a understand that black lives matter is one organization but the movement creates space for all of us to be powerful in different ways that means fighting for black immigration black liberation criminal justice reform black black on black crime quote unquote whatever it is we can fight for the black and african diaspora any way we want through the lens of the movement we don't have to rely on just one space stanley let me just uh 
Hold Same on, Josh, because we have to go on break. So, yeah. Stanley, great closing. I just wanted to let everybody know that we do have to take a quick break right now. But when we come back, we're moving straight into the news roundup. We're going to talk about why Holly Berry says she does not want to hear about Black Lives Matter. We want to talk about how I, Meek Mills tried to attack Safari, Nicki Minaj's ex-boyfriend. And we're going to talk about Russiagate. So don't go anywhere. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. I ain't been getting high Well, maybe a little, baby, I don't wanna lie I know when you text me, girl, I don't always reply Well, you're not an angel either, you can't even fly I know this, you think that you know All this shade that's coming at me, I wonder who throws it They can't see the vision, boy, they must be out of focus That's a real hot album, homie, I wonder who wrote it Oh, shit, oh, take, pray them go away we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you have just tuned in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with my partner, Selena Hill. And of course, we have our special guest, Joshua Clennon. And we have just finished talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, specifically about the BuzzFeed article that pretty much said that there was turmoil within the group and that they may be at, at the risk of falling apart. We talked about that. We talked about what we thought needs to happen. We criticized them a bit, and it was a good conversation that if you're on Facebook Live, you can probably see in the comments section. But now it is time for the news roundup. This segment is where we talk about our favorite news stories throughout the week, things that made us laugh, cry, curse, flip a table, or question why Halle Berry was being questioned certain things. So so, Selena, I'll let you kick it off. Well, before we do, I want to let Josh respond to your closing closing statement really quickly. You punched the mic just now? I did, sorry. <laughs> um, your closing statement really quickly about Black Lives Matter, and then I'll lead that into what okay. Holly Berry said about Black Lives Matter. My closing statement. So, black people, we need strong leadership. Our people are in a crisis. And, you know, leadership is not about... Leaders don't search for consensus. They build consensus. So, I just want to... Leave it off at that. You know what? I agree with that. I agree with that. Josh, I'm glad we ended on a unified note. But I want to say, okay, so now I'll tell you guys what Holly Berry reportedly said. According to The Root, she said she had a conversation about Black Lives Matter. And she said, and I quote, in my world, I get tired of people complaining about Oh, Black Lives Matter. And they pontificate and they pontificate about it. And I say, well, what are you doing about that? It may not seem significant to you, but that's how we start. Have you called your lo local politicians? Have you written a letter? Guys, what is your reaction to Holly Berry's take on Black Lives Matter? Holly Berry is not paying attention to ask that question. <laughs> Right. Because you wouldn't you probably wouldn't ask that question if you were paying attention because you know that there's lots of stuff being done. It's not just people shouting out Black Lives Matter randomly. Mm, right. okay, but I Josh. don't know why we look to celebrities like actors and rappers and stuff like yeah. like these people are supposed to be thought leaders for our community. Like they're yeah. they're entertainers. It's like what? that Dave Chappelle um comedy sketch when he was like after nine eleven and MCV was like now we have Jawoon on the line. It's like I don't want to hear what Jawoon right, has right. to say. They're but entertainers. But no, it's because they hold a lot of influence and they are also the leaders of cultural trends. Uh, even the way we speak, the way we dress, it's their influence, and yeah. we cannot deny that. And I honestly am one for. I love it when um, pop singers, 
artists, whatever you call it, when celebrities and Hollywood get involved in politics, especially if they lean left, we need more of that because they build awareness. So I'm all for it. But you do need to be aware. I agree with what Stanley was saying because if you are going to insert yourself into the conversation, make sure that you are following it very closely so that you can be well informed and add to the conversation and the national discourse around these issues. Now, guys, speaking of celebrities, last night I was in Brooklyn at 333 Lounge hanging out. I don't hang out often, guys, but I was. And my friend was what like, What are you doing in Miami then? No, I said yesterday. Oh. <laughs> and no, when I was in Miami, I was working, clearly, Stanley. Allegedly. So my friend was like, oh, shoot, did you see this video of Safari who went out with Nicki Minaj reportedly being ambushed by Meek Mill? And I watched it and like Meek Mills was getting out the um, car and then you see Safari like running, like literally running from him. I'm like, this can't be real. And now the New York Daily News has a headline that says Nicki Minaj's ex Safari Samuels reportedly ambushed by Meek Mills and crew. And guys, you have to watch this video. Like, I don't know if it's true, but like you heard, I think I heard some gunshots. Like, no, 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 there were no gunshots. There were no gunshots. I saw the TMZ video. He ain't even get jumped. He didn't even get jumped. It was a two-on-two. Two. So, okay, so what was it? Was it was a two-on-two. I mean, wait, wait, wait. Shout out to Jaroslav for me. <laughs> what happened, Stanley? What are you talking about? I just, sorry about that, guys. We just saw a friend of the show, Jaroslav Johnson, was in the video where Safari got jumped. I know mm-hmm. she had interviewed him shortly before he got jumped. Oh, so we need to ask her what happened. Yeah. All right, so Josh watched the video. What was it about? I mean, they, they ran up on him. They caught him off guard. They caught him lacking, but... He had, it was two guys, and then one of Safari's boys jumped in, and Safari ran and left his boy. His boy got beat up worse than him, cause he Safari ran off and was walk. He was looking from down the block while his boy was getting beat up. So I mean, it was a two on two. It was a fair <laughs> fight. It was a fair fight. That is crazy. He left his boy. Yeah, he left his boy. <laughs> like watch Safari, the video. you oh, watch the video man. on TMZ. Safari's on the corner, looking down the block while his boy is still getting beat up by the other two guys. Safari ran for his life. Yeah, he really. I mean, like, if you're about to get jumped, you should, like, don't be tough and fight. Just run. <laughs> yeah, for real, because, like, I'm not getting jumped. What, to prove that I'm, I'm tough? You're going to lose. Silly, so, if you're one of your friends was oh, going to beat up, would nah. you leave yeah. them? No, I'm not leaving him, but I'm from Brooklyn. We don't do that. Because if I did that, I could not go back to my hood. I don't right. know where Safari's from. He's not from he's Brooklyn. From, he is from Brooklyn. Not, he must be from Breezy Point, because he's not from my part. But, um... Why is Meek Mill sending people to fight Safari? I hey, it was him. Meek Mill was there himself. Aren't we adults? This is stuff that happens when you're like 13, 14, 15. Meek Mill is so annoying. He's probably like, it's it's so annoying that someone with so much money is so immature. Well, speaking <laughs> of someone who has a lot of money mm-hmm. and who is extremely annoying and immature. Uh-huh. Me? No, Donald Trump, you don't have a lot of money, Stanley. I Clearly. have $10 in my pocket right now. I will make it rain up in this space, all right, beloved? Anyway, Stanley, so Donald Trump, um, Russiagate, back in the news. I mean, well, it never technically left, mm-hmm. but Donald Trump said, like, he basically backtracked on a number of things he said. You know, earlier this year, or no, earlier this month, he was like, oh, I'm going to, he threatened to release tapes on James Comey, the FBI, former FBI director. And then he also, um, he, he also was denying Russiagate as a hoax. But recently he came out and said, okay, yeah, I don't have any tapes on James Comey. Mm-hmm. And then he said, well, if Russiagate was such a big deal, why wasn't Obama doing something about it? Because he knew about it too. So why, why do we have to talk about white men who like spray tanning? Listen, my Honestly. friend Radiant Ray just joined the Facebook live stream. Ray, what you want to talk about? I don't want to talk about Donald Trump. No, we need to, we need Honestly, to talk about I feel it. Donald, I feel bad for Donald. Donald is a hostage in the White House. Think about it. He's really a hostage. 
Like, everything they're pushing is Paul Ryan's agenda. It's not, Trump has no agenda. And if he goes against them, you know, it's, it's nothing for them to start articles of impeachment against him. And they should. But here, I'll say this, Stanley, to answer your question, why we have to talk about it. Um, us on the left, we find this as laughable and, you know, very concerning and disconcerting. But I actually watch Fox News because I was getting so tired of just hearing the left and progressives talk about how horrible Donald Trump is and Trump care. And I'm like, hold on. If he's this horrible, why is why are Republicans still winning elections? Why is his agenda still being pushed through? Why are people still supporting him? So I turned on Fox News and I watched their reaction. They literally were like laughing at Donald Trump's tweet when he um, admitted that he lied about the tapes. And they were like, first of all, he didn't even lie. He said, I might have to release some tapes, literally. And then they were like, they, they were laughing. They were like, like he was a comedian. And they were like, yeah, that's why the, the left is so caught up on Donald Trump. And he gets them every single time. And I was like, that's what they think about this. Mm. So, guys, I know we live in our little liberal bubble and filter. Or maybe we don't. No, no, no. But no, you no, should hear what the right When Donald about was it. talking about tapes, he was talking about his mixtape. <laughs> yeah, so, for, so you are not going to hit me with this liberal bubble bull crap because there are facts and then there are white people. And what you see on Fox News is crazy white people defending their white kids. They weren't even white. I'm not with, yeah, and Uncle Tom's and Uncle Theo's and, and Theo Wines, too. I'm not with it. There is There are people who go too far to the left and they just overly judge Donald Trump and make it bigger than what it is. And then they're just white nonsense, which is what Donald Trump and the Republican Party are. A whole bunch of crazy, racist Uncle Tom, Theo Wine people doing crazy things. And then regular people responding regularly to it because it is not a, a normal thing. When your president is like, hey, I'm making so much money from being president at my hotel. Or, hey, if you pay extra money to come to my hotel, I may stop by your wedding. Or, hey, my penis is really big. Vote for me. <laughs> this is not normal. Honestly, Donald Trump is perfect for the conservative movement because he's just a lightning rod that attracts so much attention. And, like, he makes his own headline, his own, you know, craziness while they can secretly push their agenda forward underneath him. Like, he's perfect for them. You know what? That is, you know, you're right about that, Josh, because as you said, like, he'll take all the attention off of the policies that are being pushed, whether it's tax reform or health care that literally jeopardize millions of Americans. Um, but, you know, Donald Trump will put this uh, a ridiculous tweet up and distract us all. Or I don't even I don't know if I want to say the word distract, but he just gets all of that. He attention. creates smoke screens. Right. Listen, listen, Naturally. Man. I am all for dragging Donald Trump, but we can't forget about the trash Republican Party and how corny these people right. are, too, as well. Absolutely. And I'll tell you more about how corny they are later on in the show when I tell you about the, the updated health care plan. But I don't want to talk about white nonsense right now. I want to talk about magic. Jay-Z, Man, the hip-hop Hall of Fame rapper, God MC, no. is putting out an album He this needs Friday. to retire. He needs oh. to <laughs> Jay-Z got to hang it up. Got to hang it Sir. up. Sir. Josh, you're old. a 90s baby. That's why you're no, saying that. Bro. You are First of all, Jay-Z's always been overrated. Fair. Nas has always been better. What? Let's, get, let's, let's say what? that for the record. Nas hold on, has hold always on, been hold better on, than Hold Jay. on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You made it a hot line. I made it a hot song. Calm down, brother man. First I of mean, all, Jay-Z is pound for pound the best rapper alive. Never. He never? hasn't been for like the last five years. He hasn't been, At least. And that's, that's being generous. That's being generous. What was the last classic album Nas put out? Bro, Nas's last album was good. It was solid. Was it was better last, than Jay Z's last, last album. Classic album Nas put out. Classic. I mean, that's a 
that's a tough. When was the last classic album that Jay Z had? American Gangster. No, that album. What? That was classic to you? Yes. Oh my God. How about Blueprint Three? I mean, bro, probably the Black album was the last classic album Jay had. That's still 2004. When was the last classic Nas had? Illmatic. 94. All right. All right, Brooklyn and Queens. Stop We're going to have to rail it back in. So, Jay-Z. Hold on, hold I mean, on. Facebook Live people and listeners all over the world, is Jay-Z overrated? Because this man over here. Up. Sir, you he's must look. washed up. What was that <laughs> single that he had with Future? I got the key. That shit was. It was, you well, it was trash. Wait, wait. You just said I trash. got the You know what? We're playing I that got on the break. keys, the keys, the keys. It was all trash. All right. Well, hold on. So, Jay-Z has a new album coming out. It's coming out next Friday, June 30th. 44 Fours. And it's going to be a visual album. Jigga will man. you at least be open-minded enough? Don't be jog- mad at me. Oh, I don't love my own tuck. I will. Hold on, let me finish my question. I will give it a listen after the hype dies down. I never listen to stuff like when everybody's raving about it. I so you will be open-minded enough. Could it? You think it might be a classic? No, I, I'm doubtful. I doubt it. Sincerely. <laughs> Silly, what are your thoughts on Jay Z's new album coming out? I'm excited for it because Jay Z is the best rapper alive. Period. No arguments included. All right. And mm. also, I think we should be excited to hear some good music because this is a mature right. Jay-Z. This is a Jay-Z that is now socially conscious and not just lyrically, but in his finances as well. This is a Jay-Z who has been a married man and has a lot to say. And this is a Jay-Z who gets questioned by people who had the same haircut as little Yachty. No, this is a Jay-Z <laughs> who is out of touch and does not speak to anything that real people are going through anymore. I'm more excited for, for a little Uzi Vert's album. I'm what? excited for... <laughs> Toro Imoi, oh, no. he has an album coming off. out. That's that's <laughs> gonna be fire. Uzi Vert. Yeah, Lil Uzi. Oh, he speaks to the consciousness of the people. I mean, Lil Uzi, he represents like you know the the generation yeah. now. It's all about positivity, and he Lil represents Uzi that. represents guys that want to wear blouses. That's why, and like you guys, like oh my gosh. Hold up, we. I, what Haters. year were you, Joshua? What year were you born? I was born in '92. Okay, so I think you know what, and I made this point before, Stanley. Maybe sometimes we live in like a filter or a bubble and like like when Stanley professed mm. that Jay-Z is the best rapper alive, like it's I automatically crazy. agreed. But the new generation doesn't seem to really think that. No. And I actually appreciate um that difference in thought there. I think it's hilarious and I don't think that we should be more anticipating like, little Uzi I think it's more. Uzi doesn't have rap skills. Like they doesn't know how to what? rap. How do you I mean ra- rap has evolved. I tried to You can't <laughs> no. measure it by the same standards of but, back then. But you had to Everything have like changes. an actual skill set. No, like rap, little Yachty's album came out and he couldn't even rap the on The beauty beat. of rap now is like rap has become be like rock. There's so many different subgenres of rap. Yes, there's good like rap drill, bad rap. There's there's swag, there's like y'all call it mumble rap, but like Oh, no, no, there's, no, there's different forms of rap. Stanley, yeah. Stanley, do you not respect this new generation's form of no, rap? No, there are some really good rappers out there. Um, Vic Mensa, Vic Mensa, who I, I just him. heard of, he's really, really good. I, I really like little little Yachty in the, um another another sh- everyday struggle um show. I thought he was great, so I listened mm-hmm. to his album. I couldn't get past the fourth song. Honestly, hold on, hold on, hold on Joshua. Album. Why couldn't you get past it? He wasn't rapping on beat. Like <laughs> if the beat was one, two, three, he was like. <laughs> and like it wasn't like, I'm like what are you doing I, get so that. Then, I didn't like so, his new album so then like I like Kyle I always play Kyle's song on here um, I aspire with my little lot I like Kyle a lot then I tried to listen to Young Thug but he just mumbles a lot so wow. it's hard but when he, when he's clear he has bars so I'll give him that but this new mm-hmm. music a lot of this new music it's not they're just like saying words it's like 
There was one song from Lil Uzi Vert I heard. He said barbecue, chicken water, airbrush, flat top. Stop that it. That was the song. Stop it. Stop it. And you know honestly, what? Young Thug is probably one of the most talented rappers of like. We got to go on a break. He's man. like top five talent. By the way, what about Travis? You don't listen to Travis? Travis Scott? Oh, I love Travis Scott. And, uh, you sit up here anticipating Lil Uzi's uh, ver- I'll be you know, album. Uzi? I can't, Josh. Lil Uzi albums look nice in the Selena's. It's going to be, it's gonna be it's better gonna be than Jay Z's new album? Oh, yeah. Is that We're going on break, guys. We're going to go on break. All right, no, that is a question, guys. We're gonna go on a break, but don't go anywhere. We're gonna continue the show, and we're gonna talk about the we'll Democratic Party. Whole verse. We the best mm. music, music. Oh, this what we doing here? Another one. Another one. I might have to put on my jury for this one. Rave time, rave time. Y'all talking about Uber, our cars been autonomous. Do you even understand that line? Damn, Daniel. What we going to do when them all white vans come through? Come on. It's you know like, what? yo, we know. Give me, give me Jay-Z, a, we know you rich. Give me, we know. Give me, he's like, talking about selling drugs. It's just, do you listen to music? He don't sell drugs you, no more, though. Hold on. Let me ask you a question. When the last time Jay-Z Do you listen drugs? to music or do you skim through it? No, I listen to me. I listen to all types of music. Give me a hot Japanese little Uzi Vert line. What? Give me a hot little Uzi Vert line. That, that's the line. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, guys. So we have to bring it back. We have to scale it in. Behind the scenes here, Stanley and Joshua were having a mega debate over Jay-Z, you know his what, relevancy. Joshua? Let me just say one more thing, Selena. Stanley, no. Until you own your own, you can't be free. Until you own your own, you can't be me. Let your voice be heard, Incorporated, beloved. All now right. I do what I want. Mm. Okay, okay. What? That's oh, stop, <laughs> now guys. Now I do what I want. <laughs> all right, guys. We're going to have to leave it there. We don't, who's the better rapper, Little Uzi or Jay Z? We're gonna have Wait, to leave it there. We're gonna do, have to leave it but there. He said, "Now I do what I want." Is the hotline? Sit, li- leave it's him. A hot song. Do you hear that song? It's a it's you a hot play. song. Okay, that's what the new generation <sighs> likes. We want them to let their voices be heard. All right, guys, we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Happy Sunday again. My name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz. And our very special guest commentator, Joshua Clemens. And we've been having a great show. We definitely appreciate. No, no. It's been a great show. We appreciate everyone who's been chiming in on Facebook Live. We appreciate your calls as well. Keep them coming. We are going to switch gears. We're not going to talk about Little Uzi and Jay-Z anymore. But we are going to talk about what's been going on with this Democratic Party. Because honestly, guys, it doesn't make sense. Our country is being led by a Republican president who has proven to be a liar, corrupt, and extremely incompetent. His policy proposals on big issues like health care reform and tax care reform would literally cripple the middle class and disproportionately hurt working class Americans along with the disenfranchised communities. On the bright side, Trump has sparked a strong momentum on the left as we continue to mobilize, galvanize, organize, protests and raise money all in the name of resistance yet in spite of this momentum in spite of our attempt to continue to resist republicans continue to win electoral elections and are running our country on the local state and federal level it doesn't make sense now the latest local election received a ton of national coverage and money um this was the special election in georgia's sixth district where democrat john ossoff outspent his opponent and appealed directly to the needs of this upscale suburban district yet and still despite the 30 million thousand 30 million dollars he lost to a republican candidate who doesn't even believe in a living wage 
Now, in addition, a few weeks ago, a cowboy named Rob um, Quiest, he lost a special election in Montana to a Republican who body slammed a reporter. Wait, in, in their defense, the Democratic candidate, he had no policy issues. They would ask him what he, what he thought about health care, and he would start playing music with his daughter. All right, hold on, Stanley. We'll get to John and why he left. But I also, hold on, I just wanted to say, Stanley just gave a criticism of him, which is true. But also, we need to also take in mind that he was young, he was well-educated, he was attractive, he was articulate, he was 30 years old. Some people even called him a reincarnation of Barack Obama. I oh mean, some God. of his speeches, his <laughs> wow. speeches were really, nah, when it came to his speeches. He wasn't that good. When it, when it came to his he speeches, that that's what they were saying. I, Don Lemon, Don Lemon even Stop said it. it too. Like, I think he reminds me of Barack. Stop it. So... Stop it, Don. You know better. <laughs> so, again, we have jo- Joshua Clinton here. He's the treasurer of the Black Caucus of Young Democrats of America. He, w- America. he was also a delegate for Bernie Sanders. I want to start this conversation off with you, Josh, and just asking, why do you think John Ossoff left? I mean, we had, we, I talked about some of his strong qualities. Stanley brought out some of his criticisms. Why do you think he lost? I think Ossoff lost, I mean, for... You know, it's flabbergasting because they poured $23 million into his race. So, I mean, (laughs) you think that would have helped. But, I mean, he could have done more outreach to, you know, black, Latino community. There wasn't too much of that going on at all. Um, He kind of just catered to, uh, you know, the majority voting base, which is, you know, white suburban people who, you know, tend to vote Republican. I think uh, the party in itself, they keep trying this failed strategy of trying to win over uh, Republican voters and swing voters who they think is displeased with, uh, you know, Donald Trump. I think, you know, there's so many people who are disenfranchised, so many people who didn't vote. I mean, like, what was voter turnout in that in that district? It wasn't it wasn't over 50 percent. There's so many people who didn't vote that you could have appealed to if you just took a more populist agenda. Like, OK, so basically what you're saying, Josh, is that. Well, the strategy here was they wanted to appeal to this district. Most of the people there, I think the medium income was around like seventy or eighty thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. This is a very well-educated district, um, you know, and they they have um, a substantial amount of wealth there. And they didn't vote for Donald Trump. I think Hillary Clinton definitely took this district. No, she lost. But she, it was but she lost by a small was, margin. She got forty-seven. He got like forty-eight. I think. So she. So he barely won this he district. He barely won. And I honestly, you know, I know hindsight is twenty-twenty, but. If I was thinking about a strategy, I would say, let's go after these Republicans who aren't really feeling Donald Trump and let's try to appeal them just so that we can get into so we can start to take the house back. And you're saying they shouldn't have did that and they should have appealed to no. the black and brown community. There. But like, how do you even know that would have been substantial enough to win? I mean, it probably would have been the difference in the race because, you know, they didn't vote for the Republican. Um, and then secondly, like, why are we even pouring money into that race is like. Okay, like we didn't, Republicans have had that seat since like 1979. So, I mean, we had like some races in Kansas, very winnable races where we had, you know, populists like Bernie Sanders type Democrats. You know, Democratic Party didn't, they didn't throw them anything. They didn't give them any money. But we poured $23 million. We burned $23 million on this one race and this guy came up short. 
I think they did that because, number one, this is a referendum on Donald Trump. Number two, if we would have won this seat, it would have definitely put a lot more momentum into the party itself. And it looked doable. It looked very feasible from the outside looking in. Well, let me just give some more context. The DNC didn't just, Democratic National Convention, whatever you call them, committee, they didn't just automatically jump into this race. They were ignoring it at first because mm-hmm. it was a non-starter. It wasn't going to work. And then a whole bunch of people on the ground, activists and volunteers, they built up the buzz around him. They're the ones that really got the DNC's attention. The DNC didn't jump into like the race until maybe right before the um the first of the um the pre runoff election. That's when they jumped in. So granted DNC does make some bad choices, but it isn't like they were putting their money into this before. They definitely didn't put a lot of money into those other races. They put ten, fifteen thousand dollars. But because he did so well in that first the first runoff mm-hmm. race, like it looked like there was a good chance he could win and they went all in, which I don't blame them for. That makes sense. Now if this was supposed to be like some big symbolic victory that symbolized, you know, what's to come in twenty eighteen. But at the same time there was a race in South Carolina. That guy only won he only lost by two thousand votes. And he also ignored the black community. And that's and the, the black people in that, district, in that district make up 28% of the population. And they didn't reach out to the black community until a week before the election. Right. So that actually leads me to my next question. And guys, if you're listening and you want to chime in, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio and keep those comments coming on Facebook Live. So hindsight is twenty twenty. Stanley, I'm going to start with you here. Should Democrats have implemented a different strategy or maybe elected a different candidate in Georgia? Or should we just use this as a lesson learned moving forward? So I've been thinking a lot about this and I've come up with this answer that no one is going to like. I think that the Democratic Party needs to listen to Bernie Sanders and get more candidates on the left. But I also think that the DNC is right, is that you can't put a Bernie Sanders-style candidate in every district, and you have to. it has to be more thought process mm-hmm. behind it. With that being said, I thought Ossoff was the right choice, but I also think that the Democratic Party made stupid mistakes, like, once again, ignoring the black vote. You, you, just, you just cannot do that. You cannot <coughs> ignore the black vote, especially when you're in a district where, at the end of the day... The, 48% of that district, Democrats. Guess how many, what percentage of the vote also got? 48%. So mm. every vote matters. So when you're ignoring 13% of the population until two days before the election, this is what happens. Did you agree or disagree, Joshua? Yeah, I, I agree mostly what um, Stanley said. They need to, I mean, yeah, you're right. They can't, you know, in the South, guys are going to, they're going to be less liberal in the South. Just, you know, just the culture of the South. I understand that. But, you know, we need to be more strategic as far as, you know, we can't just go all in on one race. You know, we need to, you know, support guys in all over the country. Like, there needs to be more of a national... Well, you you guys are calling for... Strategy. Right, and you guys are calling for um, Democrats on the, on the left or candidates on the left to be more inclusive of black and brown communities. But, I mean, strategically speaking, like... If you know that, you know, these are Republicans, mm-hmm. they're suburban, they are majority white, and we have a good chance if we appeal to their needs. I'm not saying ignore black and brown people, but, like, there was a strategy there. No, because you, you we make it seem like black people have drastically different desires than white people. Black mm-hmm. people want affordable health insurance. Black people want low taxes. Black people want to be able to, like, have good jobs. It just so happens that black people also care about other black people, whereas white people tend to not to. So... It's not that hard. You could have just done that and just went to the communities and said, hey, we're going to get that pothole fixed. A lot of these things what people don't realize is it's even though the, the world is watching, it is a local election. It is a for congressional seat for a local part. So 
go talk to the black people, black and Latino people over there and figure out what they need and find out if you you if what you stand for can address those things. Because Asif wasn't a liberal at all. He was a cent like a, a center left leaning Democrat who was pro business and thought that single payer health care was going too far. Right. Yes he did. And he said that. So okay, so what does this race say about the twenty eighteen midterm elections? What do you guys think about that? Um I think it doesn't look good for Democrats. Really? It doesn't look good because the party's still in disarray. The party still hasn't been able to cultivate, you know, a message that unites Democrats across the board because, you know, the base has shifted. The base is more left-leaning. The new Democratic voters, they're more to the left. They're, you know, they're with Bernie Sanders. And the Democratic Party still hasn't embraced it because, I mean, we have Democratic lobbyists, people who are raising money for Hillary Clinton, who are now working with uh, the Donald Trump agenda, they're they're pushing his agenda, lobbying for pro- for-profit prisons, lobbying for uh, net neutrality for Verizon, Comcast. Like, how do you do that? And then, you know, at the same time, talk about unity that we're all in this together. We're not. Mm. Stanley, I think the Dem- Democrats will be okay. Really, really. Yeah, because I'm like, with respect to to you, Josh and Selena, I'm on the ground. Mm-hmm. So I like I I've, I have a taste I have a better taste of what's happening. So I'll give you an example. Um, Congressional District 19, John Faso. He's a Republican who voted in support of Trump Care. Healthcare is a big thing everywhere, and it's gotten so bad for Faso that he's refusing to meet with his constituents mm-hmm. because of whenever he meets with them, they give him hell for his vote. I participated in a town hall there. Well, I, I helped do media coverage for it, where over two thousand people showed up to a town hall. To let him know how they felt, he refused to show up. They had another event where the the Democratic congressperson from another district had to come and talk to the constituents because he wouldn't do it. And then just this past Thursday, Attorney General um, um, Daniel Schneiderman was there, and, and you'd have nine different people running for his seat already have announced that they're running and have started fundraising. They're going after him. Well, these are, like these are it's, things are happening. I personally think it's a little too soon to make those mm-hmm. calls because number one, none of Trump's policy proposals have actually been passed yet, so it's not really affecting too many people yet. It's just hearsay and it's just making headlining news. But I think a year and a half from now, once things, you know, let's say they pass Trump Care 3.0, let's say they do start to reform taxes, and I know these policies um, were strategically. Um, set up so that they don't really start taking effect until years later. But I think that if they once they like start affecting people day to day, if they do, then we might see a change. But I think it's too soon to call. I think voter suppression is very real. Um, like that's something we need to do in state legislators, just in state legislatures, like just making voting easier. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to vote online. There's no reason like you know we don't have early uh we don't have early voting in in New York. Like, that's ridiculous. And we're, we're supposed to be, like, the leading Democratic state in the country, you know? Well, let me tell you something about that early voting. There's a package of bills that the New York State Assembly already passed in New York State that would create automatic voter registration. As soon as you turned 18, they would do it through the DMV. So when you got your state ID, they would just register you to vote right then and there so you don't have to worry about it. It would allow the 40,000 formerly incarcerated people who are, um, I think, either parole or probation would once again get their rights to vote again, and it would instate early voting and same-day voting registration. The reason the bill has not passed is because because there are eight Democrats who are caucusing right. with Republicans in New York State. Jeff Klein, Marisol Alcantara, who's in Harlem, by the way, um, Jose Peralta, Jesse Hamilton, and a few others who are caucusing with Republicans to block the bill. They are also blocking the bill for single-payer health care in New York State. And they are also they also blocked the bill that would put, um, just like 
for a more local issue that would like put more stop signs in a community where a bunch of children have died from car accidents. What's the reasoning behind this, Stanley? Republicans. They want to build power. So what happens with the um, Independent Democratic Caucus, they say they're doing it so they can have more influence, but really it's you get cozier like committee chairs, you get lots of additional money, and you get fundraising. So I'll give you an example. Jose Peralta, who is in um, Flushing, Queens, he got a $10,000 stipend for being on a, on a committee for being a committee chair, he wasn't even on the committee. Yeah. Wow. So that's like that's some of the stuff that's happening in New York State. So, are, so are basically, are they just doing that to secure their positions in their pockets? Mm, yep. Definitely, guys. I know that we do have to take a quick break, um, but when we come back, I want to talk about what um, the special election in Georgia really said about the Democratic Party. Like, you know, if you think about it on the local level, state level, and even governors, I mean, Republicans are running two thirds of all governor positions in our country. And it's like we're out here resisting. We have Black Lives Matter, but why aren't we winning elections? And, you know, we've had conversations in the past where we said, is it time for us? to just start really pushing and moving for a third option or should we get inside these, these the Democratic Party and tell them you need to push our agenda and you need to hear our voices. So we're going to go on a quick break but we're going to come back and we're going to answer those questions. Environmentalists have attempted to change the United States use of fossil fuel. The use of fossil fuel has contributed to global climate change. The Climate Disobedience Center, or the CDC, is a nonprofit organization that helps activists and communities let their voices be heard. The Climate Disobedience Center offers training courses to help activists develop long-term campaigns. They also provide activists with legal assistance. The CDC is working on their biggest case yet, defending the hashtag shut it down on tar sand pipeline activists. They're counting on your support to help 11 activists and journalists who are facing the most severe charges ever brought against anyone in the modern climate movement. You can make a donation or become part of the cause. For more information on how to make a difference, please call the Climate Disobedience Center at 781-819-0993 or visit climatedisobedient.org.
And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, what you heard there was not garbage cans smashing against each other. That was actually a Lil Uzi Vert song. Just kidding. The song wasn't bad, although we didn't hear any Lil Uzi Vert. We just heard Migos. Um, but anyways, guys, we're not here to argue about whether Lil Uzi Vert is trash. He is. We're here to talk about what happened in the John Ossoff election and the future of the Democratic Party. And I'm here with Selena Hill and, of course, Joshua Lil Uzi Vert loving Clennon. And <laughs> Selena is going to move us along. Yes. Thank you, Stanley, for uh, bringing us back here, guys. And just shout out to Jackie Fuchs. I mean, Jackie Cohen and Alyssa Fuchs. They are regular correspondents and co-hosts here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. But they're not here today. We have Joshua filling in. He happens to be a little Uzi fan, which is great. Um, but, you know, if you guys don't agree that Little Uzi is better than Jay-Z, you can continue to leave those comments on our Facebook Live. And speaking about comments on Facebook Live, we actually had a comment from Doracus Davis, who was speaking about um, progressives. So she, this person wrote, progressives, including Dems, need to be strategizing for 2028 not just 2018, on a local and national level. The GOP is building power through disenfranchising and focus marketing. Um, um, I completely agree with that statement and with that comment. Thank you so much for leaving that there on our Facebook Live. We're talking about the Democratic Party, the brand itself, and strong. how we can, yes, it's not strong, and what we can and should be doing to win elections. I mean, Obviously, pouring out millions of dollars didn't work. I mean, appealing to a district that seemed really feasible and doable to win in Georgia's 6th District in the special election with John Ossoff. I mean, it seemed like it was going to happen, but it didn't. And this is just one example of how Democrats, despite the momentum, are losing left and right on local, state, and federal levels. So, Stanley, I mean, is the Democratic Party in a state of crisis? Well, I want to answer that question by also reading a comment that Shadley left right after Dorka, sure. where Shadley said the Dems are trash and are just trying to use black and brown people for the vote. A lot of people feel that way. So the Dems are failing in a sense that people don't feel like they like they have their side. That's one problem. And then also the Dems are failing because Republicans have literally rigged the election system and are not afraid to go down in the gutter to win. And the perfect example of that is this Ossoff race where they started saying that Ossoff was an outsider. He lived two blocks out of the district because they tried to cut him out of the district. And, and he said, grew up in that district. Yeah, and he grew up in the district. They called him an outsider. They said that he loves Kathy Griffin and he wants to cut off Trump's head too, even though he never even said Donald Trump's name and he doesn't know Kathy Griffin. Kathy Griffin just endorsed him on Twitter like, oh, he's awesome. You should vote for him. He never he never accepted the endorsement. He, they tried to say that Ossoff was out in a, in a conspiracy to kill Mike Pence and people support this. They said that Ossoff was getting all of his money from out of state, which he was getting a lot of money from out of state, but so was the um, his um, opponent. I forget her name. Karen Handel. Karen Handel was getting a lot, a lot of her money from out of state as well. But the difference was Handel was willing to go in the gutter, way in the gutter. And Ossoff was like, hey, I'm good looking and I don't really stand for anything, so I'm not offensive. Um, Joshua, is the Democratic Party in a state of crisis? Um, yeah, Democratic Party needs to like reconstruct this identity, you know. The, the, the jig is up. Like, you can't just be the, the big money party with a good conscience. It's not enough. You got to stand for something. And you got to, you know, you can't just, you got to go to the bat. You have to say, these are, are we going to go for single payer? Are we going to go for free public tuition? We know these things work. It appeals to the new base of voters, but they're not ready to, you know, the party hasn't embraced that yet. You know what's crazy? In England, the, the, 
the Liberal Party damn near got the whole, damn near like came all the way back because of one candidate, prime minister candidate, who was so they called him the the English Bernie Sanders. Uh, and they Corbin. got yeah Corbin. They got so many young people out to vote. I think voter turnout for young people was seventy percent mm-hmm. in this last election election for prime minister. It's it clearly hits a note. And you know I have a lot of problems with Bernie Sanders, but I like a lot of his issues. Is it time to just like really go all in and support that platform? You know what, Stanley, and that's a great question. And guys, if you uh, want to chime in on the Democratic brand and the direction and the strategy we need to go in, call us up. The number is 212-650-6903 and leave your comments on our Facebook Live. I mean, that's the debate right now. And I hear a lot of people on the left, they're saying you know what, we should actually center, we should actually move a little bit more to the center because if we look at Southern culture where they happen to be socially conservative, but their politics are progressive. So they're saying we should run more candidates who are pro-life and we should run more candidates who are pro-Second Amendment and that's how we are going to strategically win votes uh, on, on um, like from state to state. Now, what you and uh, the other people are saying, like us in the room, we're saying, no, we should lean more to the left. We should uh, cater a little bit more to Bernie-style politics and really try to galvanize black and brown people and the younger vote. I mean, it's it can go either way, and I understand the arguments for both sides, but we also understand that, that you know, black people in particular, we're 13% of this population mm-hmm. of this country, like... You know, in other states, it's majority white, like Arizona and Utah. Like, they're not, you know, they're really not going to appeal to that. Well, I think um, people are tired of the rhetoric. People are tired of the debates about, you know, abortion is very uh, a serious matter. But um, I think people nowadays, especially like young voters, we're more interested in um, policy that's really going to affect us economically. Because, you know, there's not as much jobs, there's not as much money flowing in the economy like it used to be. So and we're all saddled with this debt. So, you know, that's the I think economic issues at the forefront for most people on the left and on the right. But reproductive rights are an economic issue. I want to push back on that. So just just to be clear, that is an economic. It is. Issue. It definitely is. So I don't I think mean, we should dismiss that at all. And also, I'm not saying we should dismiss no, it. But you I think said like, there should be open debate. Definitely. About what? But I don't think that we should. Um, I mean, some people, you know, some people are very religious and they. So don't get abortions. Don't no, I'm not saying I'm saying there should be open debate, but I'm saying we shouldn't just as far as trying to win in the South. You yeah, know, you can't disqualify. You, you can't just disqualify. We're not Democratic Party. We're not going to support this person because we agree with him okay. on everything else. But he's pro-life. So we're not going to have anything to do with him. I mean, that's what. Congress, that's what state legislation is for open debate. I don't think we, so the left has got into this thing where we just attack everybody who doesn't agree with us on everything. I'm going to challenge you on that thought then. So say we have a candidate who is on board with everything, but they don't think that we have a problem with police attacking black and killing black people. Well, of course, that's something that affects me. So I'm going to, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, there, there always has to be open debate. So you're, you're going to have a concession for that candidate then? I mean, I might not vote for that candidate at all. I mean, I'm probably not going to vote for him. I'm probably going to run somebody against him. Would you be? Would you feel betrayed by the party if they supported that candidate? And they said, well, wait, like he agrees with us on the everything The party else. has a whole bunch of people sitting in the office right now. Yeah. <laughs> but my point is, you're saying, that, like, you're saying that we had to have flexibility, and even if they have like one or two things we don't agree with, we still had to be open to supporting them. So how does, how does that change when it impacts you now? 
Well, well, I would say this to answer that question because I think that, um, especially in the 2016 election, it was a the lesser of two evils, right? Mm -hmm. And after Hillary Clinton won the primary, I was one of those people that said push for Hillary Clinton because even though we don't support her in every single issue, she's way more open-minded and uh, amendable when it comes to hearing us and listening to us. So if there was a candidate who happened to be pro-life or happened to be very pro-Second Amendment or even pro-police, if they did fall more to the left and I was in like I was aligned with them on every other issue, especially when it came to like a living wage, um, single payer. I would support that candidate. And then once we got them in office, I would get in their ear and I would put use pressure to make sure that we pass our agenda. I would say, like, you know what? We got you in office. And no matter what you're saying about being pro police, you're going to hear our issue about police brutality. You're going to watch these videos and you're going to do something about excessive force. So that's the strategy that I would use, Stanley, because I don't think that we need to throw away Democratic candidates just because we don't align with them on every single thing, even things that affect me and are important. Now, I do want to move it along a little bit because when it comes to the Democratic Party, another thing that people on the left are calling for is new leadership, particularly around Nancy Pelosi. Oh. They are calling out and calling for Nancy Pelosi to step down, despite the fact that she raises a whole lot of money, she's a veteran legislator, and she's no she knows what she's doing. Stanley, do we need new Democratic leadership? We do, but not Nancy Pelosi. Are people stupid? The people... No, sorry. And, and if you think we need... Nancy Pelosi's like new leadership, I apologize. I'm not trying to be rude no, to you. I don't blame Nancy. But like, what is what, what does Nancy Pelosi have to do with John Ossoff losing? First of all, Nancy Pelosi is far more liberal than most people know. Second of all, Obamacare does not pass. Dodd-Frank does not pass. Hell, the debt limit does not pass. Paul Ryan could not get a debt limit vote. He had to go to Nancy Pelosi to get the bill passed. John Boehner only got anything done because Nancy Pelosi got it through. Nancy Pelosi is probably the most accomplished and brilliant legislators we have ever had. She goes when she's ready. And the people who are making these hot takes are either mad because she's holding the throne or are stupid. Josh, why yeah. are so many people calling for Nancy to step um, down? I think it's just a power play, you know. People are just trying to change the guard. Um, I think the guard needs to be changed, but... They're, you know, they're trying to replace Nancy with just another establishment person. So I don't. Mm, I right. Don't so what's the point? Right. Yeah. What's the point? You know, it's just somebody making a power play. Absolutely, guys. So we are going to get ready to start wrapping up this segment. Um, thank you so much for the comments, everyone. And I want to just give um, our panel um, some time to give final thoughts when it comes to the solution. If you had the air of the DNC right now, what would you tell them to do? I would tell the DNC. Let's clean up the party. Let's stand for what we, we actually say we stand for. Let's stop, you know, stop being on the fence when it comes to big money. You know, we, we have to have single-payer health care. We have to have free public university across the country. We have to, you know, raise the minimum wage. We have to protect our workers, protect our women, and all these things. Like, we got to stand for it. We can't just say we're about these things during our uh, campaign season, but when we get in office... You know, we act like, you know, we're deaf. 
You know, what Joshua said and Stanley said is absolutely right. We need to know that the Democratic Party is listening to us. And you know what? They weren't listening when they supported Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders because, mm-hmm. you know. And they rigged it. They rigged right. it. Right. Absolutely. And so I, they, I, they did not rig it. I wouldn't would, would use the word rig, but I will say they put the odds in favor of Hillary Clinton. And there has been evidence of I that. I will agree with that. But yep. Hillary washed Bernie regardless. <laughs> it was a media blackout. He had no media attention. Are you crazy? Guys, you No too. media attention. Selena, Can I ahead. finish? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right, guys. I will just say Bernie that lost. if Bernie if Bernie Sanders would have run ran against Donald Trump, my personal opinion, he would have been president right now. So the DNC needs to really take Bernie Sanders and the style of politics, that populism, more seriously because it doesn't just speak to millennials. It doesn't just speak to Latino voters or Black voters. It speaks to Americans. Yeah, I mean, Bernie. Exactly, Bernie Sanders uh, is all about economic empowerment and improvement. I mean, when it comes to single payer, health care, tax reform, and getting rid of this billionaire class that runs the country and our entire world. So I think that the DNC, if this doesn't shake them up, I don't know what will. On that note, we do have to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, Stanley will give us a quickie slash rant on Trump Care 3.0. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Selena Hill. I'm also here with Joshua Clennon. Alyssa and Jackie are out this week. Alyssa is at the Pride Parade having a blast. And Jackie, well, Jackie, she's somewhere in Saratoga getting lit. And before we jump into the quickie, I just want to take one quick moment to just honor all the people in the LGBTQ movement who have fought for equality, who have fought for justice, and who stand with us in the movement for black lives to make sure that we all have equality because if one person suffers we all suffer and i want to send my love to Alyssa because she is an activist who fights for black lives and trans lives and queer lives and gay lives and lesbian lives we love you and we support all of our friends in that movement now to the sad stuff Unless you've been living under a rock, which you may have been but still heard about this because I talk really fast and I talk a lot. Or unless you've been living in an apartment with no internet, no cable, no lights, no gas, and just hiding because you don't want to get sick. You may not have heard that Senate Republicans in the United States Senate have finally released their health care plan. Sort of. They didn't release a plan. They released kind of like a one to two pager that gives that puts together some ideas of what they want to do. And this is after weeks of working on a plan behind the scenes without sharing it with anyone. And what I mean when I say behind the scenes, I mean they picked 10 white men from the Senate. No women, no people of color, no one else went somewhere and started working on the Trump care bill that Congress sent up to them so they can come up with what they called a better version. Their drafts tell us it is not a better version. It is Trump care with more garbage piled on top of it. So let's talk about what this bill actually does. It is called the Better Care Reconciliation Act. Raise your hand if you make $250,000 a year or more. Psych. (laughs) No one. So if you make $250,000 a year or more, this is great for you because what it does is it's going to eliminate two big tax increases that the Affordable Care Act had included into your into your um, tax bracket. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. If you make anything less than that, you are in big trouble. Raise your hand if you make $5 million a year or more. Well, if you did, you'd be seeing about $37,000 extra in your paycheck every year because of this bill. Raise your hand if you know someone who's on Medicaid. They'd probably lose it. Or it'd be fun. It'd, it'd, the funding would be cut. Raise your hand if you know somebody who has cancer or needs a lot of health care treatment. 
under this bill, health insurance companies could cap your service. So you could be in the middle of chemo and you'd reach that limit and an insurance company would let your doctor know, hey, we're not paying for any more of this. So you have to pay for it by yourself. If you have a pre-existing condition, raise your hand if you've ever had acne in this room. That's a pre-existing condition. Insurance companies could charge you more for having pre-existing conditions. Raise your hand if you know someone within the 23 million people in the country who rely on affordable health insurance and if their prices jacked up out of nowhere would probably lose it. Yes, because that's what's happening under this bill, including 14 million children who would lose health insurance coverage. But it doesn't just go that deep. It goes deeper. Along with cutting health insurance away from 14 million children, 23 million people overall, making it easier for health insurance companies to cap your service because the Obama campaign had stopped that, making it okay for insurance companies to charge you more for having a pre-existing condition, and making pre-existing conditions being anything from being a woman to having pimples. This healthcare plan also prevents senators and Congress members from having to face these things and makes them exempt. It also provides tax cuts to insurance companies that give big bonuses to the executives. What that means is you can write off a bonus or a raise you give to your tax executive. It also cuts $500 million from Medicaid and it gives it to the states, but they don't tell you you have to use it for Medicaid. So like some states, when they get money for um, welfare or food stamps, they actually invested in other things. They could just invest that money into something else to fill up a budget gap, which means if you have somebody on Medicaid and say, I don't know, Texas, and Texas doesn't use them on Medicaid, then there could be millions of people who just won't get health insurance because they can't afford it. That's what we're facing with this bill. Republicans, after spending eight years of talking crap about President Barack Obama, after spending eight years saying that his health care bill was horrible for the American people, after spending eight years saying that he did not give any time to have conversation about this bill, are about to pass a bill where no one saw any piece of it. There were no amendments. There's no space for debate. There was no opportunity to put any changes in there. And they're going to replace it with a bill that over a year's time, there were over 100 public town halls there were over a hundred public forums there were over 200 amendments including from republicans they actually lost the single payer piece of the bill because republicans put amendments in there and said they would not support it unless they did that thanks a lot joe lieberman and the bill was passed after lots of painful negotiation and a lot of people would say after a bill was structured in a way that they thought republicans would most likely support after all these things happen, they're putting out this bill, a bill that Donald Trump calls mean, a bill that will leave us back in the space where before Obamacare, 40,000 people a year on average were dying because of lack of health insurance, and they're doing this because of freedom. So that's where we are, and that's what we're facing. That, so, so, Stanley, you know, thank you for that elaborate breakdown of the devastation this bill will cause. So we know that Republicans are pushing to uh, a vote on this bill before July 4th, which is when Congress goes to recess. Yeah. Do you think that they will vote and pass this bill? I'm what do you predict? So I'm, I'm not I'm not sure. We've been hearing a lot more pushback recently about what's going to happen. From Republicans? From Republicans. you Republicans can only afford to lose five other people from supporting this bill to get it passed. So Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, a couple of um, Ted Cruz right now is on the fence about it. A couple of people. Paul Ryan. No, 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 not Paul Ryan. Sorry, Paul Ryan's. In, in, not Paul Ryan. Yeah. The other Ryan. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Um, the Libertarian Rand Ryan. Paul. Rand Paul. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, but like Rand Paul and Ted Cruz don't like the bill because it's it's not it doesn't take insurance away from enough people. <laughs> so we're in a space right now where we're not sure. But Mitch McConnell, as evil and horrible as he is, is brilliant legislatively. He's one of the smartest minds we've ever had in Senate. 
There is no way he's putting this bill down if he doesn't have the votes to get it passed. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't have the votes, he will find a way to get it passed. The bigger thing is when it goes to Congress, because it has to go back to Congress and it has to go into reconciliation so they can kind of like put the two bills together to support it. Then Congress has to vote on it again. New York State, there are nine Republican congressional members. Seven of them voted for the bill. We need to be calling them every single day, calling, writing letters, everything. And every single person needs to be ready to get on their congressperson's back because if this bill passed, there will be hell to pay for people like me and you and you and your grandparents and people with pre-existing conditions. This is not a game. So there is things that we can and should be doing to stop this. Yes. And that's calling our elected officials. Yes. Protesting. If, yes. If you have family members who have a Republican state U.S. senator, to call them and say, hey, call this senator. Let her know that they can't support this bill. Susan Collins, call her because Definitely. she is someone who says that she, she supports Planned Parenthood and she's in a, in a district where you have a lot of Democrats. Call her. Put the pressure on her. But we have to fight this because they are literally trying to take away your health insurance to give tax cuts to the rich. Absolutely, guys. So, yeah, there is still uh, things that we can and should be doing and... Honestly, back when President Obama was trying to pass the Affordable Care Act, they put so uh, Republicans and uh, people in Republican districts put so much pressure on their state legislators that President Obama had to pass a very watered down version. So honestly, protest, petitioning and just being politically engaged and active works and it continues to work and it's a part of the resistance. But on that note, we do have to say goodbye for now. Before we do, I want to thank again Joshua Clennon, who I'm pretty sure will be coming back on the show. We enjoyed everything you said, even though you think Little Uzi is a better rapper than Jay-Z. We're going to let that slide. <laughs> we're gonna, we no, still, we're not. We're, no, we're still going to invite you back. We're still going to invite you back, Joshua. We appreciate it. We got to talk about that now. <laughs> we, gonna, we appreciate everything you had Thank to say. You. Of course, we appreciate everyone who was listening, tweeting, calling, and leaving comments on Facebook Live. Thank you so much for hanging out with us here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Again, this is WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Check us out. I think we will be back next Sunday. More than likely. Why wouldn't we be? Okay, good. So we're coming back next Sunday. next Sunday? Well, you know, it's July 4th weekend. Ooh. <laughs> but Stanley, I know you don't have any plans, so oh, we're going to be here. Shoot. This is a different Stanley. <laughs> anyway, guys, so check us out. Happy Sunday. Enjoy the rest of your week and Sunday. And make sure you check us out on podcast. We're at iTunes. You can check us out at Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio and our new website at lyvbh.com. See you guys. Leave him in the wilderness with a sworn nemesis, he'll make it.